CITR 101.9 FM. Oh, that mic is close to me. Uh, this is Ink Stud Show, the radio show where we talk about comics. Um, that was Sleater Kinney. You're no rock and roll fun off. I'm trying to remember the name of the album. What's the name of the album? Oh, me? Yeah. <laughs> I got nothing for you. I'm okay. a <laughs> Um My guest today is Miss Lasko Gross. Um, her books are Escape from Special and A Mess of Everything both from the uh, fine folks of Phanographic Books Incorporated, um, another Northwestern institution, as long as, along with Sleater Kinney. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing just well. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. And you're in Brooklyn, I'm presuming? Uh, no. no. I live uh, on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. It's just the internet says I live in Brooklyn. Okay. <laughs> what does the internet know, really? Really? It lies. It lies all the time. Um, I guess we'll start out with uh, yakking about your books. Um, why don't let's get your background. Tell me about where you got into comics. Uh, well, I've, I've always drawn, but it didn't turn into comics until uh, elementary school. It started turning out, and it was like feeble, dirty joke comic strips to make people laugh. So like Johnny and Ryan? Then, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> like yeah. Johnny Ryan? Yeah, except, you know, I mean, on the level, scatologically, but, you know, even less less mature. Because, oh, wow. you know, I was, uh, like, maybe, like, 11 years old or so. Um, and then it kind of evolved into, you know, what you'd think of as comics in, uh, in high school. Um, mostly sad imitations of uh, Jaime Hernandez. And with a little bit of like a tank girl thrown in, and and maybe a little bit of a, the Akira influence, and I started uh, self-publishing comics when I was in high school, and that led me to the group of artists known as uh, Don't Shoot It's Only Comics, which uh, Jeff Taylor ran out of Boston, and I was probably one of their younger contributors because I was in high school, and then continuing with self-publishing and then getting picked up by Cryptic, which was still kind of self-publishing, and doing a series <laughs> called AIM Comics, uh, 93 to maybe 2001, and then uh, the two books you mentioned earlier. So you've been doing this for a couple of years now. Yes. You'd think I'd be a lot more successful, given uh, 14 or 15 years, but no. It's comics. Yeah. What, what is it Dan Klaus says? You know, you could be the top comic artist of them all, but you're, you're still nothing in comparisons to the, was it the badminton champion or something like that? Well, it's, it's always a case of world's tallest midget there in, a, in comics, I'm afraid. Oh, the poor midgets. Um, so both these books kind of chronologically follow, says some are semi-autobiographical. Is that's that, the line. That's the line, and that's what you're going to stick to. No, not at all. Uh, I'm uh, very open in saying that that's a marketing choice. That's kind of like post medium little pieces marketing choice. So, um, in a way, that kind of, I think, has undermined me because with people believing it's semi-autobiographical, then they're like, well, why are these, in the first book in particular, why are these stories so short and why do they end the way they do when, you know, really they're just pure memories? Mm -hmm. And if I was fictionalizing, I would put um, the stories, especially from being six years old, I would put them in a context. You know, I would maybe do what some people do, which is recast their adult self, you know, into the child and, you know, tell the story from a perspective that they couldn't possibly have uh, as a child. So I think it uh, undermines me a little bit. But yes, so they're all true, sadly, <laughs> if you read the books. Very sadly, all true. Well, let's t tell me how you work at the memory stuff. Like, did you keep a extensive journal as a, as a young one? Uh, not before my teen years, which is why um, in the beginning of Escape from Special, you know, it's like these really brief flashes of memory that, you know, like I was saying, they come without necessarily like a context of, you know, no biographical info like this place, this date, because either I don't remember or, and also because I don't think that's, you know, important, even though the books are about me. It's not like I'm an important, you know, figure that you'd see in an autobiography and, um, you know, in, in, in a, I guess you could call them regular books. In comics, it's just, you know, you're a little person who doesn't matter, and that's who the autobio comics focus on, mm -hmm. in a way, if that makes any sense. So, so yeah, they're just kind of, they're exactly the way I remember them. You know, I'm starting at a point somewhere, and then they end 
when I've made my uh, unspoken philosophical point. <laughs> and what is the point? Well, each, each story has their own has their own point. You know, one story will be about, you know, on the surface it might be about, you know, picking your nose and wiping it on your leg, uh, like in uh, Boogers in the first <laughs> story. But really it's about the way, um, you know, the, the boring explanation. You know, it's the way children perceive the world, mm-hmm. the way at that age you have, like, you know, a kind of a more magical understanding of, you know, the way things work that isn't, you know, hasn't been squashed by, like, you know, scientific understanding. So... When you were working on the, especially the early childhood stuff, did you just go for everything you can remember, or is it like specific things that you feel stand out to you as far as experientially wise? Well, with the really early memories from like, you know, six years old, I pretty much used what I had because, you know, I, you know, your memories are so spotty from that point. But starting from, you know, the elementary school material, going through junior high and high school, in the more recent book, I had to edit a lot because, you know, you can't squish an entire life into 200 pages. <laughs> and you're going to be continuing with another book, kind of taking from where the most recent one. Yes. Finishes. According to the Internet, again, I'm doing a trilogy. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't say it's a trilogy. I, 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 I'm going to avoid the, the magical trilogy word. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how this... The, the stuff starts, but I mean, I did plan on doing other books. I mean, the goal ultimately is to do them through, you know, old age and, you know, just have an entire life, you know, told uh, in segments, but I guess it's a trilogy. I, I've i been told, so I guess that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so the the second one's your Empire Strikes Back. Did things get better? Um, <laughs> well, you know, I found out who my dad is, but I lost a hand, so it's kind of like, a you know, there's a give and take. Oh, that's too bad. Is yeah. Dad a nice guy? Eventually he gets nice, doesn't he? Yeah, eventually he takes off his mask, and you see that he's just kind of like a boiled egg head, uh, sad old guy, and and then uh, and then all is well, and the Ewoks dance. But oh. for now, you know, he's a scary guy in a mask. I was all, always disappointed that it wasn't James Earl Jones when they pulled the mask off. Yeah, what a jip. Come on. He's a better oh, wait a second. Hey, we're talking about Star Wars. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just realized that. <laughs> so tell me about, um, I guess, the artistic process in the books. Um, what are some of the tools you're using in it? Um, I use, but because I do a lot of the work, um, you know, on breaks from, uh, you know, day job, I, I can't really bring brushes and ink with me. And I, also, I just like to work with pens. Mm-hmm. So I use Micron pens, Sharpies, um, and I most importantly I use uh, markers. I use either the the micro, um, let's see, not the Micron, the Pantone markers, which are now called Tria, and uh, Pantone markers, and I kind of layer them in a watercolor technique and blend them like washes. Okay, there it's it's really interesting. I find looking at it because it's a lot different than a lot of the other comics that I'm seeing right now. So it's. I don't know, it seems a little more muted, colorful, if that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's kind of like cool and warm gray palette. Now, one of the things that really struck me about A Mess of Everything is when I read a lot of, and I, I really don't want to use this phrase, but I'm going to use it anyways, kind of coming-of-age stuff, mm-hmm. is that it, it usually focuses on relationship melodrama, but it seems for... For you, the focus is how important friendships are. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the stuff that lasts. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, if you're dating someone, and, I, you know, I didn't do a lot of dating. I was, you know, wildly unpopular uh, with men. So, you know, the, the friendships are more important because when you get betrayed by a friend, that, you know, it hurts so much more, and that kind of hurt lasts. Whereas, you know, who remembers, you know, who dumped them when they were, like, 14? I mean, I guess some people do, and I'm I'm being mean to those people now. But sorry, get over it. More important. <laughs> yep. Get over it, people. Um, and also, I don't like to, you know, I find I find relationship stuff is well. I always try and write and draw what I enjoy reading, and I'd like to skip boring parts. And I find uh, relationship and and uh, love triangles and that you know that bickering couple stuff just intolerable. And so I don't want to, you know, uh, force anyone to read 
things about my life which aren't important or interesting, which is also why the stories are so short. I try and kind of do a reduction sauce and boil everything down to its most essential point get, so there's no filler. Get, get rid of the fat. Yeah. Skim the fat off. Well, how do you decide, like, or not decide, but, like, when you're going through your life experience, your life experience what do you, do you find yourself wanting to change things a little bit or just adjust them to, or do you kind of try and go v- verbatim? Uh, I try and be as truthful as possible because, you know, even if that makes me look bad, and I know I frequently do look awful in these books, <laughs> but, you know, if you try and go back and edit, it's like the more truth you chip away you know, the less people are going to appreciate it because the true stuff is what resonates because people go, oh, my God, I felt that way because, you know, really we're all essentially like the same person with just slightly different experiences. So truth is always better. It's always funnier. It's always grittier. And it'll make people more uncomfortable. And so I feel bad writing it because some of the things are so embarrassing and they're so horrible. But I think that makes for a better experience for the reader. And, you know, I want to entertain people. Well, that's the thing for me is I really appreciate when someone's being honest with their work. And, you know, it's it speaks more with an honesty than just some kind of feigned, I'm not so bad. Come on, guys. <laughs> well, you know, there's a, there's, when I get a nasty review sometimes, they, uh, they'll just go right into how I'm a horrible person or they use words like scary or just whiny or bratty and... <laughs> that bothers me not because, not because I care what some, like, you know, sad little, like, uh, like crusty little blogger thinks, but because it's like, well, yeah, I was a teenager. Like, I'm not going to, again, like, go back and recast my, like, shining, heroic adult self, if that even exists, and, you know, try and make it seem like I was cool. It's like, you know, when you are a teenager, you're really self-absorbed, and, you know, you are, you do make a lot of shallow and questionable, impulsive decisions, and, you know, sometimes you're the villain. So I'd rather, you know, show that. I found myself actually identifying a lot with with your character. I don't know why, but maybe I'm a terrible person, too. Um, yeah. Damn comics people. <laughs> yep. Can't trust them. Um, is that something for you when being so honest is hoping that someone coming across it can kind of get something out of that experience and go, yeah, okay, I was a twit, too? I think that, you know, there's the kind of person who's going to be, you know, that self-aware is probably the kind of person who would identify with me to begin with. And that's not really the person, you know, I have to win over. That's someone who, you know, comes from uh, maybe like a similar background or just, you know, culturally is in the same place. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, someone and the kind of person who goes, she's horrible. They're never going to, they're never going to stop and they're never going to like slow down and, you know, analyze what they're reading and be like, wait. You know, maybe it's supposed to be ironic. Maybe she's aware that she's being, you know, this way. Well, it's funny, like, looking like you're wearing the Bikini Kill t-shirt throughout the whole thing. It's like, that was me when I was 15. Well, I didn't have a Bikini Kill t-shirt. Cause I don't oh, I was very lucky. I had a uh, one that was silkscreened for me by a friend of mine, and I don't think I took that off. I think I wore, uh, much like the comic book characters I like, I wore uh, the same outfit nearly every day, and I, I uh, smelled uh, smelled like I did as well. See, it, that's something that would strike me as interesting, having some kind of, like, scratch-and-sniff aesthetic to a comic, just so you can go, oh, oh, jeez. Oh, the horror. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I would love to do that book if that wasn't uh, cost-prohibitive. That would be wonderful if you could just scratch the armpits and the mouth to get the bad breath, and, you know, if maybe if the acne could ooze on contact, that would be awesome, too. <laughs> I hope we someday live in a world where that uh, where that comes to fruition. If you're listening, Fanographics, come on, special edition. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's do a quick song break. What would you like to hear? Uh, whatever you have queued up is uh, already something I like. So okay, let's do that. Let's go with the Pixies. It's very uh, apropos for the era, I think. We'll be right back. The Ink Studs, and I'm chatting with Miss Lasco Gross. <laughs> That's the 
CITR 101.9 FM. This is Inside Show, the radio show where we talk about comics. Um, that was the Pixies uh, off Trump Le Monde. Uh, UMass, I did get the right song, right? Yep, that was the right song. That's the right song. Um, next week, my guest will be uh, Monsieur Emmanuel Guibert. Um, he is currently, I think he's in New York right now or DC. He's doing a bunch of stops around the East coast of the States. And then he'll be in Toronto for the Toronto comic and art festival. And, uh, his book, the photographer makes me giggle with glee of how good it is. It's not a happy story though, but a good story. Um, my guest right now is Miss Flasco Gross, who will also be at the Toronto comic and art festival. Am I right? Ready to meet and greet, uh, my lovely neighbors to the north. <laughs> yes, that's all we really are to America, the neighbors to the north. We don't have much more of a use. With your, uh, your health care and your clean cities, bah. Oh, I don't know what cities you've been in. Vancouver is filthy. Um, Not compared to New York. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I've been there. I don't think it was By the way, bad. listening to uh, Frank Black Holler uh, unstuck my brain, and the Slater Kinney song was from all hands on the bad one there we go all hands on the bad one see and the reason i didn't get that one i just never really listened to that album very much i love sleater kenny but that album their poppy one just really never stuck to me i don't know why hmm. my own little well, thing i love them beginning to end although the woods not as much a little no. bit too mainstream for me See, I like it because that's like them going all Melvin's I I didn't think it was really mainstream, more just like it felt more polished to me. Like I just, you know, I like them a little more, a little more wild and like um, uh, atonal occasionally, and then going back to, uh, well, you know, their sweet sound. So <laughs> I thought that was a little polished, but I love them beginning to end. That's just my least favorite. Yeah, we'll we'll agree to disagree. Um. You're doing a bunch of little signings and stuff over the next month or so, am I right? Uh, that is correct. I had my first signing for the new book at Rocket Ship and in Brooklyn. And then the next thing is at the Strand, I'm doing a signing slash reading with Gabrielle Bell. Uh, I believe that's on the 19th. And, yeah, and TCAF, of course. And TCAF. And it's interesting that you're uh, doing stuff with uh, with Gabrielle because you both kind of have a very common, not common, it's both very different takes on the same subject matter, I guess. Yeah, I definitely feel like she's, like, I, I love her work, and I feel a strange, like, kinship there where she's, like, artistically my opposite, but from a, the way we tell a story is very similar. Mm-hmm. Very, very, both very excellent stuff. And while we're checking out, I think her new book, Cecil and Jordan in New York. Stories. Is right? Stories in New York. It's in New York stories, and then okay. stories are small. But uh, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was a little afraid that if we, like, touched each other, the world would implode. But, uh, you know, we met up and exchanged books the other day, and, you know, we're all still here. So. <laughs> there wasn't any kind of cataclysmic event. Yeah, the, the, that superconductor thing that they uh, did overseas that was going to maybe kill us all, uh, but didn't happen. I'm a little disappointed that nothing happened with that, you know, like, let's, maybe a little black hole that sucks out France or something. I don't know. You know, if we were really stoned right now, I would say, but wait, but what if it did end? And this is all just in our mind. Into oblivion. What We're was, not stoned, so. What would 16-year-old Melissa say right now? Ah, she would probably say something, uh, something to that effect, except she would throw in a lot more obscenity and then maybe make an awkward uh, groping lunge for you. <laughs> oh, now I'm uncomfortable. Um, we all are. We all right? are. Any zit remedies that worked? No, no, not a one. Not a one. I'll keep And that yet line. I kept going back. <laughs> they kept pulling me in. Well, they made those promises on TV, and then, you know, I I'm, assume you're alluding to that story. Yes. Uh, about those duplicitous uh, a-holes on TV. And, you know, they make a promise, and you buy into it, and you buy the product, doesn't work, and, and yet you keep falling for the stuff that they're selling you over and over again. And... You know, that story is about, you know, the media at large as opposed to just being about zits. But again, I don't get preachy and I don't narrate, so 
you know, if you read it really quickly, it's just this. One of the most interesting parts of your first book is your time, I guess it goes with the name of the title of the book, is your time in elementary school. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about that? Well, I started out in public school, and it was kind of suggested or mutually agreed upon that I uh, leave public school because I couldn't be handled by uh, uh, the teacher. I believe I called her Mrs. Brand in the book. Uh, Names are all changed, of course. Um, To protect the innocent and the guilty. Uh, plausible deniability lawsuit, blah, 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 all that. So uh, then I was put into a touchy-feely hippie school where, you know, you don't necessarily learn to read or, you know, do math so much, but, you know, we did learn a lot about, you know, earth and nature and mythology and all those things, which, you know, by the time I was uh, then thrust back into public school in third grade would leave me, you know, woefully behind my, my peers and, not being able to read and, you know, uh, just just hopeless but and you're unschool in, and not knowing anything. But you were in touch with Mother Earth. Yeah, which is very important now in the working world as an adult. When I tell people I uh, know about the seasons and the you know, Greek mythology, it's all very relevant to things I need to do. Did a lot of that stick with you? Or was it something you cast away as quickly as possible? It shaped uh, it shaped my perception of the world, and it perhaps you know switching back and forth between those different realities is what made me cynical at an early age, and you know just very skeptical about you know about authority and about believing you know what's told. I think I got a sense because of that shift that wherever you go, there's a different reality, and you're expected to believe that and go by those rules. So I realized, I guess, how subjective things were, depending on where you were. You know, what was valued. Well, and that's one of the theme. One of the things in your book is in high school, where you got in a little challenge with one of the teachers for uh, not answering the questions how she expected the answer. I guess, and that's kind of speaks of the whole continuing of educational systems, where you have to answer to a certain expectation. Yeah, I mean, there is no absolute truth, but yet every reality you enter into or every world, you know, whether it's a workplace or, you know, a religious setting or, you know, just just a different school, you're expected to spit back whatever they give you as if that is the only reality. It's all about memory comprehension, I guess. (laughs) Yep, rote memorization. Three cheers. Boo. Um... Now, you're part of the House of Twelve uh, Comics Collective in New York, a good way of putting it? Yes, that is correct. We get together once a month, and uh, it's get drunk and draw comics. Although I'm really not much for the drinking, but I enjoy the comics part. We go to a bar, and we do jam books where, if anyone you know doesn't know, you start a story, you do a panel, and you switch books with someone else and follow whatever they did. And by the end, you know, you go home with your book with some absurd story, which involves a lot of uh, phalluses and Uh, flatulence, most likely, depending on how drunk uh, (laughs) the various artists were. And you know what? It doesn't change from city to city. Nope. What is it, cartoonist? Um, Does having kind of that peer group help kind of shape your own storytelling? Do you use that for feedback? It's It's a good exercise, you know, to try out different, to try out different techniques, and to also be called on, you know, when you're doing crappy work, to learn how to you know, follow someone else makes you think more about your own work. So it is, it, as an exercise, it definitely has helped me. And knowing other cartoonists and getting feedback with them, you know, being able to show them pages while I'm working on a book helps a lot. Now and we do anthologies once a year, too. And the next one will be House of Twelve Five, Touching Children's Stories. Oh, that sounds terrible. It will be. But it will be technically all ages. And that'll be the only thing on our table that we don't have to, uh, at comic conventions, immediately shield the children from when they walk by. That would be a a good thing. Um, I went to uh, SPX one year with my friend who does a magazine called Cinema Sewer, and uh, he had some challenges with the uh, staffing at the hotel for... uh, for his content on the covers of his books. 
Um, so tell me about the Kathleen Hanna quote on the back of the, of uh, Mess of Everything. Well, I basically stalked her to get it, which I'm fine admitting. Uh, <laughs> I knew that she was going to be at a uh, at a benefit for uh, Mia Zapata, and I think it was on one of one of the anniversaries of her death. I I can't remember how many years it's been. And so being the shameless, disgusting piece of crap that I am, I brought the, the book with me, you know, the pages, and just waited my time, much as an animal stalks its prey on a nature documentary. <laughs> then uh, threw it down in front of her, forced her to look at it, although I didn't, I didn't use physical force, but I, you know, I put out the vibe that I wasn't going anywhere, and she said to send her a copy, and she gave me a blurb. And that was very, very gracious of her, considering what a creep I am. That's great. It's it's you know sometimes you gotta gotta push it. Uh, how important was uh, the work of Kathleen Hanna to you when you were a teen? I mean, you mentioned the Bikini Kill T-shirt. Oh yeah, they were they were absolutely my favorite band in high school, and you know I was in several bad punk bands, and I played uh, I would play some of their songs, and so they were you know that was kind of the soundtrack to to my high school experience, along with other bands, but that was the most uh, dominant one. I loved Bikini Kill. Now, did you do any zines as well as mini-comics, or just mini-comics? I did zines. Uh, I did illustrations for, for other people. So in the, in the trading networks, you know, people who liked my comics would say, oh, could you do a cover for my zine? I did some illustration for a zine called Grope. Uh, I believe I did something for... This is, this is like 100 years ago. Uh, so the, I can't remember most of the names. I think Callisti Goes Here was one of them. I may have done something or sent something to Venusian Reject. I I was very much into doing doing that work, and at that time I was in high school, so I didn't need to get paid for anything. So anyone who wanted a, a drawing or an illustration would get one uh, and uh, have it sent immediately. Because I was just you know looking for places to be seen. Hell yeah, getting printed and published. I think we're gonna do one more song break. Um, I'm gonna throw in the the gossip. I think uh, after talking about uh, bikini kill and stuff. That feels right. Sound good? Sounds great. Okay, we'll be right back. Inkstud, CITR 101.9 FM. <clears throat>
CITR 101.9 FM. This is the Ink Studs. My guest today is Miss Lasko Gross. We're just talking about her books, Escape from Special and A Mess of Everything. Um, at about near the end of the hour, I will be uh, doing a second interview with uh, Mr. Box Brown about his new book, Love is a Peculiar Type of Thing. And uh, yeah, so stay tuned. And after that, it'll be the French Connection. Um, uh, bleh, bleh, bleh. Do you have any interest in any other forms of um, comics other than autobiographical? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love autobio, but I love fiction, too. How about, I mean, creatively yourself doing? Well, you know, the, the series AIM that, was, that I did from 1993 until 2001 uh, was, it was fiction. I mean, it had some... Parts of it were loosely based on my life, but there was also, you know, a kidnapping plot and, uh, you know, various other backstories, some superhero stories, that kind of stuff. So I will do that again. In fact, the book I'm working on now is based on a friend of mine's story who was, he was in a burn ward in Harlem Hospital, and it's about his his experiences there. So I'll be very happy not to be drawing myself, or I am very happy not to be drawing myself over and over again. That's it. That sounds interesting. Do you want to talk a little bit more about the book, or is it still a while away? No, I'll, I'll talk about it. Everyone will forget by the time it comes out, and it'll all be new and fresh. There we um, go. The, the, story, the story is basically that I had a friend, and he stopped returning my calls, and I thought he was just being an incredible ass, and I was just fuming over it. And I got a call from him where he, you know, being, uh, being kind of an ass, he... he he just started saying, oh, you know, I haven't called you for a while, and letting me, you know, be angry at him. And he's like, yeah, I was in a coma. <laughs> and then, of course, I feel like a douche. And he, he was in an explosion, was, you know, badly burned over maybe about 60% of his body, and was, you know, recovering at, oh, I keep saying, you know, what a horrible verbal crutch. I'm sorry, everybody. That's okay. Anyway, he's in a hospital, recovering getting, uh, they don't do skin grafts now, but they put like a pig skin over you and horrible pain, and he did suffer lots of permanent damage as a result. So this is about his story, and it'll, you know, in a larger sense, it's about his, it's about the healthcare system. He didn't have health insurance, so he ended up $200,000 in debt. It's about... Jesus Christ. It's about, you know, power, powerlessness, and being at the mercy of, you know, these two warring women in his life who think they know what's best for him, his his friend and his mother, who is a character. So that, I'll say that's all I'll say about that right now. And, of course, there's, he had these long, or he told me about these long uh, hallucinations he had, so there's a lot of trippy, if you think, I guess the only thing I could compare it to is, you know, what, what David B. did with his, uh, his more recent book, mm-hmm. where it was, it would go from stories into bizarre fantasies and surreal visual elements. So it's fun to draw, but it's medical equipment is making my life very, very hard. <laughs> Whimper, wine. No. Oh. Well, it seems you, 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 you like to play a little bit with the uh, the dreamy images, especially in the, especially the mess of everything. Um, see, I'm saying especially a lot now. Um, in the title pages for the chapters... Yeah, those were those were a place for me to to be free, and also because I worried people wouldn't understand what the the stories are about or would read very quickly. I tend to put in elements that, although they're surreal and dreamlike, they're hints as to what you know the deeper meaning of the story actually is. Because I suppose one of the problems in in doing those really short stories, some only one to three pages, mm-hmm. is that someone who looks at that and who who reads comics as if the text is what's important, and the visuals just just makes the assumption that they're the literal uh, they're the literal representation of what the text says. We'll never understand what the stories are actually about. So yeah, like in the title pages, you said where I did include those surreal elements or dreamlike things. They do tend to be another reminder. It's like, hey, the story's actually about you know whatever. Now. In the first book, you were saying how, you know, you have short chapters because a lot of it is just punctuated memories where you kind of grab what you can from each thing. In the second book, you you mentioned that you journalized and kept track of what was going on in your life. Um, 
what is the specific choice around having these, you know, short, punctuated chapters? It's a it's a storytelling device. It's 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 like in cooking when you make a reduction mm-hmm. and you boil all of the water out of a story, so all that's left is a highly concentrated paste. I like to just stick to cut everything down to its most essential, and that means that a lot of things will fly at you quick, and then a point will be made and it's over. There's no tapering off. There's no and then I learned the valuable lesson about life and explanation. So I do in a way expect that, you know, my readers, I assume that they're smart people. Yeah. I hope. I think so. I hope so, so too. From the ones I've met at conventions, a lot of people do seem to, to get it. And I appreciate that. Well, they're fun. They're fun books. That's what I'll say. They're fun and interesting and worth checking out. I really, I really enjoyed uh, Miss Everything, and I'm curious. Uh, tell me what the next one, a little bit, as much as you can, about it. The Third part to the trilogy, your uh, <laughs> your, trilogy. your Ewok chapter, we shall say. Yes. Uh, it's so much cuter than the others. <laughs> um, it's going to be about art school. Okay. And that's, that'll, that's I, I don't know what to say beyond that. It's kind of, I didn't mean to start writing it, but it's sort of writing itself while I'm working on the other book. So the other book's supposed to come out first before the... The third part. Yeah, but the uh, the book with the fire, I'm really only about 20 pages into that. So. Is that also going to be from Fanographics, or? I have I have no idea. That's it's still in the magic magical ephemeral kind of. Uh, it's floating by and it sparkles like pixie dust. I don't know. Well, tell me about art school. I mean, how did that change your own artistic process from what you were doing? If you've been doing minis all along as a teenager, and you go to art school, what did you take? How did that adjust what you did? I learned that the art world hates comics unless they're taken out of their context and represented like, you know, a la Lichtenstein or uh, Warhol. So comics are hated. Uh, I learned that I was a lousy artist and basically got broken down so that I could build myself back up. And was yelled at constantly for being cartoony or cartoonish and learned because of that being used as a dirty word, how the world viewed comics, which was very valuable because if I had known what I, then what I know now, I would have probably gone to SBA or maybe Hubert, where they respected comics. But having not done that taught me much more. Having to fight against a, a system helped develop my style a lot more. What school did you go to? Pratt. Same as the... Art School Confidential. That was about Pratt. Yeah, I was going to say, well, that's where um, I think, like, Peter Cooper went, Dan Klaus. Dan Klaus. Yeah. Uh, George Pratt. Um, Jack Kirby for a day. For a day. Yeah, I think he would rather have just made money than go to school. Um, who else went there? Lots of people. Baron Story taught there for many years. Um, that's where he taught all those guys. Then he moved to San Francisco and... I think it's a little more positive attention towards comics there. So um, that's funny, Pratt. Okay. What are your parents? But I don't. I don't regret going there at no. all. It just. It was a very. I learned a lot of really hard lessons in a very brutal way. Now, is there any stuff that stuck with you as far as a positive aspect? You're able to work within your work, or do you kind of like overloaded with too much of the wrong thing? No, because I was able to interpret like. Any project, I was able to make it something that taught me something which led to comics. It was good to learn how to paint. That helped my comics. It was good to learn how to sculpt. Uh, I enjoyed, uh, you you know, what I was saying about being broken down, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but being forced to do a foundation program where you think of yourself as like, you know, you you go to an art school and you were the best in your high school or one of the best. And then being forced to work in mediums that you don't know anything about, mm-hmm. it keeps your brain growing, and it keeps you learning, and you, you don't stay in your comfort zone and just polish up the one thing that you do or your your style, quote-unquote. So I think it made me grow artistically into something different and not hone down, like, this is my comic book style. I want to be in the vein of this artist. I kind of think, like, the whole point of school is... So people know, like, when you have a degree, that you've done a bunch of stuff that you really didn't want to do, but you did it. 
Yeah. You know? I, I could see that. You went through a mill, you can play the game, and there you are. Now, have your parents read your comics? Yes. And what did they think? Oh, they're so proud of me, it's retarded. It's absolutely <laughs> retarded. They, they love everything I do, no matter how how horrible it is. They they don't mind the depictions of themselves in the book at all, even though lots of reviewers refer to them as, you know, bumbling, hippie, flaky, clueless, um, no nice words, really, which is makes me wonder about the, the picture I painted of them, because I, I love them dearly, and they've been nothing but supportive. So, and my sister loves the books, too, although she's really just kind of a baby in them. She gets abused by me. Uh, you know, nearly drowned in the first book, and in the second book, spit on. You know so. what? My brother used to do that to me. It's not very nice. You know, older siblings, it's our job. It's kind of the, it, it's an evolutionary thing. It's like the, we have to uh, cement our position in the pack by tormenting those who are younger and reminding them that they are of a lower status. It's horrible, but, you know. I, it is horrible, and, you know, my own issues aside... I'll, I'll leave it at that, maybe. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry someone spit on you. It's horrible. No, he didn't actually ever get the spit on me. It was more of the, you know, the drop down and then the pull up and the... Really, people are hearing far more about me than they ever will need to at all. Are you going to have, uh, at the convention, are you going to have any original art or anything or just uh, just comics? I may bring some original pages. I may bring pages of the current book. At the last TCAF, I brought previews of the the book that is now out in print so i'll bring whatever whatever i can carry and i'll be there with a grin on my face and please come over and say hi to me and i'll show you something fantastic that'll make you weep huzzah Huzzah. who who are you sharing a table with i will be with house of 12 i recently learned that fantagraphics will not be there yeah they bailed which means i gotta find a way to get some books across the border (laughs) yeah not fair. Um, so who's at the table with you? Is it, uh, I guess, Cheese and... It'll be Cheese, Hasselberger, and uh, my husband, Kevin Colden. All right. Well, I look forward to uh, meeting you and checking out your stuff. I, Like I said, I greatly enjoyed both Escape from Special and A Mess of Everything. And um, whatever the third book of the trilogy will be called, something equally, uh, I guess, uh, self-depreciating. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Miss. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, have a good day. I enjoyed saying you know to everybody uh, about 150 times. Okay, right good now, you, you'll get a laugh out of this then. I have someone that's been uh, transcribing the uh, a lot of the past interviews, and there's two phrases that are constant. You know and kind of. Just everybody says them all the time. It's uh, ridiculous and hilarious. Yeah. So. There we go. Yet I don't feel any better about myself. Maybe that's the job of radio, just to make us all feel worse. Yeah. There radio hurts. Radio hurts. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Robin. And have a good day. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. And so I'm going to take a quick song break and play, uh, I think I'm going to play um, the uh, Distillers. There we go. Yeah. That sounds good. Um, and then when I come back... I will be joined with um, Box Brown, and we will talk about his new book, Love is a Peeler, type of thing. So keep listening. Inkstead, CITR, 101.9 FM. <laughs> 